Staples show and and I realized that introduction was probably similar to all the other ones and I want to talk to another guy who is not an Ambi introducer Robert Mays welcome to the athletic host of the athletic football show it's the whole show about the whole sport but you also write some really good stuff and uh, we are really proud to have you so so thank you Robert for coming on board appreciate that I'm happy to be here I am so glad they had the title of the podcast before I signed up because if you think about the other podcasts that I've had, I had the Grantland NFL podcast, the Ringer NFL show, and the Athletic Football show. If you can sense a trend, I am not good at naming things. So I'm very well, glad they had I. it already. It was great. Yeah. You, you can just go we, with the name. We made this we made this show my own name, <laughs> and then we didn't realize that the initials of the show spell ass, and then we were stuck with it. It's a great marketing tool. I actually support it. Oh, the, the t-shirts are getting printed right now. We we got Homefield Apparel on as a sponsor. We're going to get some ass t-shirts. It's going to be great. So, no, but I was laughing because in your AFC East preview, you had your, your good friend Bill Barnwell on, and he's clowning you immediately from the jump on your podcast intro. And those of you who listen to this show know I don't, I can't do anything but the welcome to the Andy State. It's all I got. All I got. When you settle into a habit or you settle into a comfort zone with something like that, it's hard to change it. I mean, we're going on like a decade of podcasting now, and I've done it the same way at every single show. If I try to do it a different way, I think I might physically hurt myself. It would just be so awkward that it would just go so terribly. I'm just not going to do that. I, I worked with a guy in radio, and, and he said, yeah, hey, folks, is my thing as we come into the show. And I'm like, I don't think you can lay a claim to hey folks it's not like walter cronkite saying and that's the way it is i mean it's sort of like the 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 college fans will appreciate the the voice of the gators mick hubert the guy who announces florida football and basketball games his catchphrase is oh my like i don't think the 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 patent and trademark office would let you trademark that i think it's in the public domain it's all about inflection though it's all about timing the tempo that's my thing is i do the welcome and then i do the pause and then I go in. It was always funny at the ringer. People thought that I timed it up to the music because it was always perfect. Like the music would always end and I'd come right in. And everyone was like, how do you do that perfectly every single time? It's like, I don't. <laughs> you had a really good producer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do not hear music in my ear before I say it. I appreciate <laughs> the th- fact that you think I do, though. <laughs> Fortunately, we have a very good team of producers here, including John Hayes, the, the man who puts this show together. Uh, I'm really proud of this company for what it did in getting you though because this is a little personal and in the weeds and you know a little inside baseball but Bill Simmons stole two of my favorite editors that I worked with at Sports (laughs) Illustrated and it's about damn time we stole somebody from him so Mallory Rubin you know her you love her mother of dragons she's a superstar you know she didn't start reading Game of Thrones books till I told her to I did not know that. That's a nice little oh, tidbit. Yeah. I will hold that over Big her time. Head. Yeah. So Mallory Rubin, the, the, who's now you know the boss of bosses at, at the Ringer, and then Ben Glicksman, who I saw in your thank you note was one of your favorites. The he uh, was the, my editor. The, the quietest, yeah, the quietest supermodel ever. Uh, he is a he's a wonderful human being, and I have been 
just burning inside since Bill stole him. And now I finally work for a company that can steal things from Bill. And that makes me so happy. I don't think I stack up to either Mallory or Ben, but I will try to do my best to kind of get some you know, black back in your ledger here. Well, we, we got to talk because I have followed you for a long time. So I know your history. Uh, like your show, this is a, a circle of trust. We can admit things. Uh, on your show, you, would, you, know, you, you let everybody know you, you were a Bears fan. And I let everybody know I grew up a South Carolina fan. I was a human tackling dummy at Florida. So I, I have some affinity there. You're a Bears fan, and you're a certain type of Bears fan that we college football people, we got a little cross with you guys here a few, a few years ago. You're a Bears fan who talked himself into Mitch Trubisky. Well, you have to. At a certain point, there are elements of my own family members that I don't like but I don't have a I don't have a choice. It, it, there's no reason to keep fighting it when it's going to have to be something that I live with. You could have had Deshaun Watson find a new family. So <laughs> I really wish I could. I, I sincerely wish I could. That should have been the moment where I was like, you know what? This is it. It's over. And the problem was it wasn't talking myself into Mitchell Trubisky the first time because that was just by necessity. It's like, all right, you know. He was pretty good at Carolina. It's, you can see it. He has talent, obviously. There's a lot of tools there. It was talking myself into Mitchell Trubisky the second and third time that I should be shamed for. Well, the, the thing that, that just killed me every time, it was because Trubisky and, and Watson both came out of the ACC the same year. And, and granted, different divisions, but still, they played in the same league. How could anyone <laughs> with eyes watch them play and think, that the one that was picked higher was better. <laughs> I mean, it just defies logic. And and the thing is, you know, it, the other part of it is I loved the whisper campaign because look, North Carolina obviously wanted to get Mitchell Trubisky drafted as high as possible. That's great for recruiting. So they explained away the Marquise Williams thing, and what that is is he didn't start over Marquise yeah, Williams in two thousand fifteen. Right, right. And they were really good in 2015 with Marquise Williams playing QB. Marquise Williams, by the way, not playing quarterback in the NFL at the moment. So that part... Mitchell Trubisky won't be soon, so don't worry. Yeah. People were saying, oh, Larry Fedora didn't want to lose the locker room. Let's spin that forward a few years. Also the same, same conference. Kelly Bryan is the starter. He led Clemson to the playoff the year before. Dabo Sweeney benches him in favor of Trevor Lawrence. Did he lose the locker room? No. He would have lost the locker room if he hadn't started Trevor Lawrence. Christian Wilkins would have led a mutiny to make sure the better quarterback played. So that, that's the part that I just love that. And, and, and I'm, I'm picking on you, and I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's Trust just, me. I, you can't I, I hurt have, me anymore. I have years built up from Angry Bears fans telling me how stupid I was for suggesting that they think about maybe Deshaun Watson was a better choice than Mitchell Trubisky. This conversation comes up a lot, as it should. You know, when you pick a quarterback second overall, not only pick him, but trade up to get him and trade several picks to go get him because you completely misread the situation that the Niners were in. I can understand why it comes up as often as it does. And it, one of the times where it's ringing loudest is when Mahomes plays Deshaun Watson. I, the Mahomes thing to me does not bother me because I feel like mm -hmm. the – the Chiefs saw brilliance when no one else did. I mean, I think I commented when I first watched Patrick Mahomes in college. It was like watching somebody do a performance art piece on the idea of playing quarterback. 
It, it wasn't well, actual quarterbacking. It was amazing. It was thrilling. But I can understand if you couldn't read into that's a great NFL player. Oh, you're, you're never going to hear any of us college folks say I told you so about Patrick Mahomes because we had no idea either. We, we knew he was really good. But he played on a bad team, and usually you can elevate. If you're a great quarterback, like that kind of great, you can elevate the bad team. And at that point, no air raid quarterback had ever succeeded in the NFL. So now, if you go back and look, you can argue that Tom Brady was succeeding running parts of the air raid for the better part of a decade in the NFL. But we won't quibble there. But it's just we hadn't seen it. We didn't know. But Watson was, it felt like a no-brainer. I think that it, what the air raid thing is a really good point, and I think it kind of extends to the Watson stuff. I feel like in the last five years or so, the NFL has changed its thinking about quarterbacking and who can play quarterback more in the last five years than it probably did over the previous 20. And I think that's important. When you look at Deshaun Watson, when you look at Lamar Jackson, even Baker Mayfield to a certain extent, I think he's still going to be okay. I feel like a lot of franchises are now trusting what guys did in college. If, the, if a guy is a really good college player, just a dominant college player, I think more teams are willing to say, all right, how can we get this guy? How can we recreate this guy rather than does this guy fit what we do? And I think that's it's. I think there's a lot of younger coaches coming into the league. I think that the way that information travels, just digitally, technology, everything else, it just seems like there's a homogeneity in college and the pros that there hasn't been, and there's an open-mindedness. And my team was just too slow to pick up on that change. Time to talk about one of my favorite treats: chicken ribs. That's right, chicken ribs. It's chicken. Made to eat like a pork rib. Specially cut thigh, one bone left running through it. You eat it off the bone like a rib. It's smothered in pork rub, but 75% less calories and fat. It's great. They come vacuum-packed straight from the smokehouse. You thaw them out. You throw them in your air fryer or on your grill for a few minutes. Maybe kiss it with a little barbecue sauce after that. Give it another minute or two. Let it get that glaze going, that candy paint, and then you eat it up. It is tremendous. Great barbecue takes time, but chicken ribs makes it easy. Fully cooked from the smokehouse. Chicken ribs are authentic barbecue ready in just minutes. Go to www.chickenribs.com and use the code Andy to get $10 off plus free two-day shipping. That's chickenribs.com, code Andy for $10 off plus two-day shipping. It, it, it's amazing. I, it, there's a conversation I had with Dabo Sweeney years ago before he'd won any national titles or anything like that, back, back when you know he'd just sit around and talk to us for an hour because he wasn't <laughs> the, the biggest name in the universe. And I remember he, he was talking about how frustrating it was watching good college players go into the NFL and then, try, and then they would try to force them into things they didn't know how to do and wouldn't take any time to teach them how to do it and then would get mad when they didn't know it. And he goes, listen, I'm under the same pressure they are. They were about to run me out of here after two years. So what did I do? I changed my offense to an offense that, one, my players were familiar with coming out of high school, and two, if they weren't, they could learn it easily. What he did is he hired a guy named Chad Morris, yep. who at the time had been at Tulsa, but Chad Morris had been a longtime Texas high school football coach. So it was, they, they basically took hired a high school coach to run the offense and it allowed them to, to blend those people more seamlessly. And I think 
I think you've seen that in the NFL. I think you've seen a willingness. But now I will say with the Chiefs, part of the genius of what the Chiefs did with Mahomes was have Alex Smith there that first year mm-hmm. and not throw him into the fire. Because like Peyton Manning coming out of playing for David Cutcliffe at Tennessee, going to the Colts, even though they're horrible, you know, he still knows the basics of what he needs to do. Patrick Mahomes has to learn a new language, a new, a new everything. He needed that year. I think that the best NFL teams are the ones that are unwavering in their plans and patient in seeing those plans through. They're not swayed by the moment or they're not reactionary to things that happen. And the Chiefs weren't in two ways. One, they weren't swayed from their plans to say, we need to get better at this position, even though Alex Smith just had the best year of his career. And they weren't swayed from the plan of he needs to, Patrick Mahomes needs to sit for a year because that's what we're going to do here. And I think one team that's particularly interesting in that regard this year is a team we talked about on today's athletic NFL show with Bill Barnwell was the Miami Dolphins. Because when you think about how steadfast they were in this rebuilding plan, they said, we're going to tear this down, we're going to be bad. And they committed to that, and it worked. And they got their quarterback without having to trade up. They had multiple first-round picks. Now, can they maintain that patience and let Tua sit for a year the same way that Patrick Mahomes did because it's in the best interest of the franchise long-term? I think that's a huge question. Well, and you know who else let Tua sit for a year despite rampant calls for him to play? Alabama. I, they they didn't throw Tua right, right in there right away. Now, they did throw Jalen Hurts in there right away because they didn't have better options at the time. But that first year for Tua, there were rumblings coming out even during preseason camp, hey, Tua might be the better quarterback. And then by the time you got to midseason, it was clear if you talk to people who were watching their practices, Tua was the better guy but they still felt more comfortable with Jalen Hurts in the game because they didn't, you know, there were certain things they didn't know how Tua would react to. They didn't put him in until they were absolutely desperate in the national title game. So I think you're right. I think there, there is something to that, to, to having a controlled rollout, you know, and, and it's, it's easier in college because, like, if you're at Alabama, you're going to have some blowouts that you can mm-hmm. play a freshman Tua in and get him some quality snaps, get him used to the speed and the rhythm of the game. In the NFL, especially in a year with no preseason games, I don't know how you do that. It just seems like you have to, and like you said, the Tua was the better quarterback during camp at Alabama. And I think the question you have to ask yourself is, the better quarterback for what? The better quarterback right now? He's more talented? Of course he is. He's a top five pick. Ryan Fitzpatrick was a seventh round pick who's been on 30 teams. Of course he's more talented. But why? I think the number one thing that you have to consider when considering the trajectory of your franchise and the quarterback that's in there is the is whether the quarterback in the game is good enough to facilitate the development of the other players on your offense. And if he is, if he clears that bar and you can get a better sense of how good Preston Williams is or Mike Gesicki or this very young offensive line you have, as long as that process can continue, I'd rather have that process be fully formed. You know who your five linemen are. You have a little bit more receiver depth and development and put to it in a situation where he can succeed rather than a situation he has to thrive because that is to me the number one thing I don't want him to go in there earlier than is necessary even if he's quote-unquote ready so another fascinating conversation you had in that ASC East episode with Bill Barnwell was was about the Patriots and it it was one of those things where for, for on the college side there was a moment where when Cam was still unsigned when he was looking around and, and we weren't sure what, what was going to happen with him, and it looked like Jarrett Stidham was going to be the starting quarterback in New England. All the Auburn fans were going, 
if I had told you in 2018 <laughs> that Jarrett Stidham would be an NFL starter and Cam Newton wasn't, your head would explode, right? And now, the world has sort of righted itself here. It looks like Cam obviously is going to win that job. But what do you expect from Cam on a Bill Belichick team? And I realize Belichick is a defensive guy, and, and that's, you know, McDaniels is handling the, the offensive part of it. But what do, you, what do you expect from Cam in that offense? I don't know. And I think it's one of the questions I'm most looking forward to finding out the answer to as the season gets going. I think on the passing side, it's easier to project because we've seen what the Patriots passing offense looks like for the most part. We understand the structure of it. I feel like it's going to be similar to what we've seen for years. A lot of quick passes, a lot of getting the ball out of his hands, a lot of empty formations, kind of creating mismatches by virtue of personnel, by virtue of formation. They do a great job of that, making the quarterback's life a little bit easier. And I think he's going to be good at that. I wouldn't be surprised if it looked a lot like his offense looked like in Carolina the last time he was there. A lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of screens. I think the Patriots led the league in yards per attempt on screens last year. I assume they're going to go back to that well a lot. So that's, to me, what it's going to look like. Getting the ball out and, quick. And you could use Sony similarly to, to Christian McCaffrey. Well, James in White. Terms of being able to... James White. Yeah, I mean, well, that's true. James White. James White. And they Absolutely. love using Burkhead as a receiver in the red zone. They do a lot of motioning him out, having him be in the slot the same way they use McCaffrey. But I think the problem is the passing offensive ceiling is limited because they don't have explosive playmakers. And you could say that about Carolina. You go back to some of those offenses that the the Panthers had. But even DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, McCaffrey, those are guys that can make things happen after the catch. I think White is really the only guy that has juice to do that. So I don't know how high the ceiling of the passing offense is going to be. How they use him as a runner is what fascinates me. I don't know if he's healthy enough to do it consistently. And if he is, what does that plan look like? Because the one time we saw Jacoby Brissett play for this team, they were willing to run him several times. I mean, Belichick has the entire history of football at his fingertips at all times if he wants to pull something out. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw some Stone Age stuff from them that we've never seen. But here's the thing. You can't make that your thing in the NFL. You can make that your thing in college. If you have a beast of a quarterback who is fantastic on the goal line, you know, you got like a 240, 250 pound QB, you can use him in short yardage every time you need to. You can you can have him be a threat to run pretty much once every series. But I don't think you can do that in the NFL because the guys are so much bigger and faster and stronger and you have so much money invested in that guy. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> but but you, have, you have so much money invested in that guy, and the drop-off usually to the second guy is so big. That's, what I, that's the part I think the NFL teams, that's probably why it took so long for them to adjust to what the college offenses are doing. Because, yeah, it'd be great if you could have the, the Ravens do what Lamar Jackson did at Louisville. You can't run Lamar Jackson as much as, you, as he ran at Louisville. You just can't. But then they've figured out how to do it where you don't need to. Because Lamar's a good enough thrower that that you can make that work. I mean, he was running the ball like 15 times a game last year, though. I mean, they're trying. <laughs> they're you, tr- you didn't see that Louisville offensive line. See, the, pro- the problem with Lamar at Louisville is he may have had 15 design runs, and then there were 15 more where he dropped back to throw, and protection broke down, and he's just trying to make something That's happen. what we're not seeing as much, and I think that's a good thing. You know, I feel like that speaks oh, to his absolutely. development, the fact that when things aren't there, he's really trying to be a passer. I mean, he 
the the offense they designed for him, and I think this is a perfect example of what we were talking about with Watson, where you take a great talent, you figure out how to use him in the best way. They have created a perfect ecosystem for Lamar Jackson, not only by using him as a runner and all the moving pieces, but the throws that they're having him make. A lot of play action, a lot of over the middle, a lot of seam stretchers with Mark Andrews. It fits his strengths. And it's just so cool to watch. It's so amazing to watch an organization kind of move in lockstep with one another in the correct direction and have this commitment to an idea. And that's what we've seen with the Ravens. I also think there's a better understanding of the read option and how that that should work. And uh, like I live, I, I live in Gainesville, Florida, where, where Dan Mullen is coaching at Florida. And and Mullen's quarterbacks do run. He wants them to be he, his his uh, stock term is a willing runner. Mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes here. Um, and that's basically we don't care if you're a if a if you're going to carry it for 20 yards a carry. I just want to know if you see six yards of green space. Because the the end pinched in, are you going to go take it and then slide? And it seems like the NFL teams have, have realized, okay, we can do that with Lamar Jackson. You know, we, we can we can have a controlled running game where he's not getting his head knocked off every single time. It felt a lot of time with the Panthers and Cam, like they were just like, okay, we have a defensive end who runs as fast as a wide receiver playing quarterback. Let's just run him, you know, run him into the teeth of the defense and see what happens. You can't do that. Well, they were using him in red zone, short yardage as a power back. That almost guarantees that he's going to take shots. With Lamar, it seems like they want to keep him out of harm's way a little bit more often. And I also think that, you know, I wrote about this in the spring as the NFL draft was happening back at the ringer, just the idea of functional mobility and how important it is for quarterbacks now, even at the NFL level. You know, I talked to Jordan Palmer, who uh, trains a lot of these guys, and he told me that he thinks that Jared Goff will be the final number one pick that can't move. That can't make something happen with his legs. You know, Baker Mayfield, I think, is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Right. He's not a runner, but he's very mobile. He's really good on the move. And if he needs five yards, he absolutely can pick it up. And I think that's going to be a trend you see coming to the NFL. And I think Lamar Jackson is a part of that. The what what Lamar Jackson has done, what Deshaun Watson is doing, I think we're going to see different types of people and players play quarterback at an earlier age. And I think it's going to change the talent pool you see moving up into the NFL over the next decade. Let's talk about a new sponsor that is near and dear to my heart, and that's because their glorious soft cotton t-shirts rest right on top of my heart. Homefield Apparel makes the best college shirts, sweatshirts, you name it, available. Because they don't use the boring old corporate logos that you see in the bookstore. These are all the cool old school logos, like the Tulane Angry Wave or Blaster the Burrow from the Colorado School of Mines. You want a vintage Vermont Catamount shirt? Of course you do. Of course you do. Well, you go to Home Field Apparel and they've got it. They've also got some of the biggies, Iowa, Indiana, and they're introducing new schools every Saturday on Big New Saturday. Noon Eastern, they introduce a new school. And I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but there's a bunch of people down in SEC country that are going to be really excited on Saturday, September 5th. That's probably all I'm allowed to say. But if you're an SEC fan base, you might be the lucky one that finds out you got something cool coming on Home Field Apparel. Has your mascot ever worn a jaunty sailor's cap? Well, guess what? Home Field has that on a T-shirt. you got to check these people out. The shirts, by the way, it will be your favorite shirt the moment you put it on. So I'm just telling you, super soft cotton, doesn't get any better. 
you're going to love it. So show some school spirit for your favorite teams or your alma mater. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the code Andy for 20% off your first purchase. College football is back. That's right. They have played games. Well, they have played a game. One game. But that's great because they're probably going to play some more. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the code Andy for 20% off your first purchase. And I'm telling you, Saturday at noon, big news in SEC country. Well, that's that's what we're, we were talking about the other day. Max Olson and I did a story. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Austin P Central Arkansas game. I did not Austin see P. it. I was actually out. I was my. I was the one time I've been social over the last six months. So Austin P didn't have any of its three long snappers. They tried to use a backup <laughs> linebacker. It didn't go so well for the first two times they tried to punt. So they instead had their quarterback punt. They were just snapping the ball out of the shotgun and he would punt. And it was great. It was actually a very effective means of, uh, of pinning the other team deep in its own territory. And so Max and I decided, okay, why is anybody using a standard punt formation once they cross their own 40? And one of the things we did was we were going back, and, and it's obviously not a new concept. Like uh, a good example, Cam used a package like that in 2010 in the Iron Bowl to come back against Alabama. They, they, it was a, it's a punt package. They had shown punt out of it before, and then the sideline sees the, the corner playing off of Darvin Adams and goes, okay, throw it. So they, they converted a fourth down that way. But it's not new. And we were going through the, the annals of history and realized Randall Cunningham is in the College Football Hall of Fame as a punter slash quarterback. What? Randall Cunningham, if he were born in 1995, would be the greatest player in college football history and would be revolutionizing the NFL right now. Here's my thing, though. If you cross your own 40-yard line, you shouldn't be punting anyway. I, I know that, Robert, and you know that. But we've got there, – there are legions of Big Ten coaches who need to be brought into the fold here. So baby steps. If you have them snapped to your quarterback, you're always a threat to run a play if it's fourth and three. You're the Steelers a threat have to done run that a, play. a couple times with Roethlisberger, yeah. I believe, uh, during he, his career. I believe he did it at I, Miami of Ohio, too. I think too. he has punted. So, it's, it shouldn't be surprising at all that Ben Roethlisberger can punt. That's a skill that he would seem to have. Well, he's here's the thing. He's a sneaky great athlete, yes, or was when he was younger. And that that people people love to put their quarterbacks in boxes. But Ben Roethlisberger, uh, when Cam was coming out, I was saying faster young Ben, mm-hmm. basically, because they're monsters. They are huge. They are bigger than than some NFL defensive ends. And like you're talking about the the guys who have functional mobility, like Deshaun Watson. I would say the guy who just came out who's a little more similar to Deshaun is Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Deshaun and Joe are good enough athletes that if, you, if they need to get you some yards on the ground, they can. But where they're really using that athleticism is to dance around a little bit, keep the play alive a little bit longer so that a receiver can, can play a little backyard ball and, and, and do a scramble drill. That's why I think that's why Burrow is just so fascinating and so intriguing as a prospect. I mean, it's just the awareness in the pocket and the ability to manipulate the pocket in subtle ways because that's something that you typically see with guys that are in their mid-30s. I mean, that's Drew Brees is incredible at that. Tom Brady's incredible at that. And I feel like you have to be able to solve the pocket in one of two ways. You have to be able to move around in it or you have to be able to have enough awareness that you get the ball out quickly. And typically, you see that awareness creep up over 
tons of years of experience and he already has it. And I think that's really impressive. And I think that's translatable. That's not something that's going to change just because the players are bigger and faster and stronger. Yeah, it's, it's based on an understanding, a fundamental understanding of the offense and how the game works. Obviously, Joe Burrow has a lot of a big physical skill set, a lot of God-given gifts. He's also grown up with a college coach in the house. So he was probably studying this stuff at a little higher level than, than most people were at his age. And But that's, yeah, when you get the ball out quick, getting the ball out on time is the price of admission to play quarterback at any level of football in 2020. You can have the greatest arm in the world – you can have the, the fastest legs in the world. If you, don't, if you can't deliver the slant when the guy is going to be there, it does not matter. Because there's so, like, so much of this now is based on timing. and bo- you know, you're, you're counting the box. You know this is going to be open. You just know you have to throw it when you have to throw it. And then, but what makes Joe Burrow great is when that breaks down, when the defense makes a, a, a subtle shift and suddenly that's not there, he immediately knows what the next thing he should do is, and he's going to buy himself enough time to get to it. I was talking to Russell Wilson's trainer for that my functional mobility story I wrote in the spring, and he was just talking about the ways they practice. And if you watch some of the, some of the clips that are online, they're really interesting. I mean, he's dropping back, and they're shouting things to him constantly. He, they're running at him like a defensive tackle would. It's like, all right, now you have the crosser coming open here. These are things that guys are practicing in order to make what seems like improvisation actually something something that becomes instinctual. And I think when you can bridge that gap, that's when you become a truly dangerous quarterback in the way that modern football works. I, I'm blanking on who it was. There was a there was a deal in the NBA a few months ago where somebody had hit like an off balance runner from the wing, a three, and it looked completely improvised. And afterward they said, oh no, he practices that at least 30 times a day. That's why And then and you're right. Guys with, with the toe tap stuff. When you watch some of the things that guys can do along the sideline and just being able to kind of, I mean, when I watch DeAndre Hopkins play, it looks like his feet have brains. They're, they're almost operating as if they're independent from his body. And you think, how does somebody develop that feel for where they are on the field? And that's just something that comes with repetition. I think Jordy Nelson was arguably the best person ever at this for understanding where his feet were and catching balls out of bounds. And if you talk to Jordy or Aaron Rodgers about that, that's something that they would just work on for hours and hours and hours. None of this stuff comes by accident for the most part. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause we, we, we were talking amongst ourselves about the, the Hunter Renfro practice rep that, <laughs> that tore up the internet the other day. And he, he's a great example of a guy who has, an incredible work ethic, a great knowledge of the game, but also some some God-given gifts that maybe people don't pay attention to. Uh, and, and in Hunter Renfro's case, I remember talking to a lot of the Clemson players who had to cover him for practice, and they said, you don't understand his change of direction. Yeah. He does not have to slow down to change direction. That's not normal. Like, he was like that as a true freshman walk-on. And then you add in his work ethic where he's going to maniacally do this over and over and over again until he has it perfect. And all of a sudden he's getting Prince Samu Kamara fired. Those are my favorite guys to watch are the people that just have an extreme feel for that position. I think that Stefan Diggs is another great example of somebody who doesn't have to slow down. He changes direction. The, the ball, the ball tracking. It's amazing. I mean, it's it, watching him play. He just never has to slow down to put people in bad spots. And then the other guys that just, you talk about to guys like Keenan Allen or Devonte Adams, just about the really the bare bones of their 
craft and what they do and the building blocks of playing receiver. And you think about just the nuances that they consider when they're trying to build releases and build stems. And it's just, it's unbelievable how many little tiny considerations go into a second and a half of movement that you would never know if you didn't ask somebody about it. Well, and the thing is, if that second and a half nets you a tenth of a second over the other guy, you've won. It plays over. I mean, that half a second is enough. I mean, I I wrote an entire story last year about just releases and like the art of doing them. And there are a lot of moments where as soon as the release happens, the play is over. You've already won in literally a step and a half. And that's just incredible to me. It's my favorite position to study and think about because it's not natural for me like I played offensive and defensive line I get that but the receiver stuff is just an entirely different animal it's it's so technical I I remember I I was I did a story on Antonio Ganny Golden when he was training for the draft and he was at a place in South Florida and they're all working out all the receivers and Anquan Bolden walks in and he is giving them so many graduate level oh he's the king of that stuff about about how to how to stay in motion, how to never let yourself slow down, never let yourself stop. It it was it was mind blowing because it's stuff you wouldn't as a as a casual viewer of the game you would never ever think about. No, never, and just because you don't understand it. I mean, and just I mean, thinking about Keenan is my favorite person to talk about this stuff with because he's just so much smarter. And Devonte Adams is is right there too. But think about I sat down and I was asking Keenan. It's like, all right, when you are sitting there in the slot, corner slot is outside, the nickel is outside leverage on you. You're running or inside leverage and you're running a slant. It's like, what are you thinking about? What do you have to do? And he's like, well, where's the safety? Where's this? Where's that? And it's like 20 things. That I just, I asked this stupid yeah. question you're, and it's like, you're, oh, yeah. you're like, Hey, I put, I put the corner in your way. Yes. I just want to know how you get yes. him out of your way. Yes. And he's like, no, that's not how, that, it's not about that guy. It's about the 10 other guys. And it's like, man, I have no idea. I don't know anything about football. And those are my, some of my favorite it's, moments is when I really come to that realization kind of cold where it's like, man, I don't know anything. This is really fun. Well, and the, and the thing about the NFL is it, it is truly amazing how good these guys are. Like I, I intensively kind of repel whenever somebody says somebody in the NFL stinks. Oh yeah. Because you, you, how, you don't understand how good they were to get there in the first place. But then when you see a really good, like we, you were talking about Stefan Diggs and we were talking about his ability to track the ball, but have you ever shaken Stefan Diggs's hand? I actually have not shaken Stefan Diggs's hand. It is like grabbing an oven mitt. His hands are massive relative to the size of his body, but not just massive. They are also soft. <laughs> not, and I don't mean in a, in a, I use the right cold cream kind of soft. I mean, it, it, they're, they're not bony. Like it feels like there's padding yeah. there for the, it, it's like he was created in a lab to catch footballs. Well, the DeAndre Hopkins, I just read on DeAndre Hopkins, like maybe five or six years ago and we had lunch together and he was talking about his hands and he has, I can't remember how he described it, but it was the space between his palm and his, the first knuckle in his hand it was weirdly longer than the other knuckle. You know, yours are kind of the same size. His were longer. Now I'm looking at him. So it created this web, literal webbing between his fingers. So when you would look at it, not only were his hands like this much bigger than mine, 
there was a webbing in his hands. It, he he was constructed to catch footballs, and it was just incredible to see. And he's like trying to detail to me how he does it and everything else, and like some of the drills. It's like, well, this is there's only a, a select few percent of the human population that is going to be able to do this, and he is one of those people. It's it, it is truly amazing, and, and it is so much fun talking about this with you. Robert, you, you're going to give our listeners a whole lot of this over I, the I next football hope season so. and, and beyond. So uh, what can we expect from, from the athletic football show? Uh, I mean, it's going to be really fun. I mean, the way that we've kind of put it together, it's three shows that I'm hosting every single week, and all the shows are unique but tied together. So on Sunday nights into Mondays, it's going to be me and my friend Nate Tice, who has worked for the Raiders. He's worked for the Falcons. He was a backup quarterback at Wisconsin. A, a man of very blunt opinions. Uh, he's Nate does not mess around. He's been my buddy for a long time, and I honestly – learn more about football on a weekly basis from just talking to him than from anyone else. And being able to bring that to people is going to be great. Uh, Wednesdays. My, my, oh, go ahead. My, my favorite before I, before you go to Wednesday, my favorite Nate, uh, just a, his evaluation of an offense. You guys were talking about the bears offense and he said, it is whatever they thought the chiefs looked like last yeah. week. Which is it great. is beautiful. It's great. And that's honestly, it's, it was way too true, and it really stung. It hit me deep in my soul. Wednesdays, we're going to have a different guest on every week, just kind of trying to take a step back. I love that midweek show. I did, used to do one with Barnwell. I feel like it's a way to kind of get out of the schedule and have some big-picture conversations. Ted Wynn's going to come on and do some film stuff. We're going to have a team writer on to kind of do a deep dive. And then Thursday, I'm previewing the weekend with Lindsey Jones, who I've known for years and it just has such a handle on the way their league actually works. So that's coming to you three days a week. And then we're going to have our fantasy show on Friday from the fantasy crew over at The Athletic. And that's it. You know, I hope people want to hang out with us. I hope they learn something. And I hope that we can kind of take a look at the sport and the league in ways that they had never really thought about before. Those are fairly simple, modest goals. But I think that we're going to be able to pull it off. And I'm excited about it. Well, I love it. I have already subscribed. I am ready to add it to the rotation. I listened to you guys while I was lifting weights today. You Perfect. Guys are great to it's pump iron juiced. too. Yeah, yeah. Bill Barnwell makes me think of doing squats just when I hear his voice. That's you're the first person that's ever said that. So congratulations, Robert. Thank you so much, and, and welcome aboard. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it.